Hi, y'all. Um, welcome to the Search for Pink podcast. You are in for a treat. I recorded the intro before I jumped on the call. It was an amazing intro, but it was on my phone and then things changed. <laughs> Um, after I recorded that intro, I like to record it before, um, Table Manners, a great podcast to check out, uh, Jessie Ware, the pop singer, host it with her mom, uh, they're British and it's adorable, but anyways, they record it before, I think that's cool, but once again, that didn't happen because my computer just decided to stop working, there is a man working on the outside of my apartment building, and he was cleaning the window that I was sitting right in front of as I was trying to figure out my computer. Anyways, Lauren is a star. She recorded it for me. Usually, I would be a little mortified um, to be like, hey, guest, can you do my job for me? I was like, man, this is going wrong. That'll ah, be okay. I'm recording with Lauren. We have a delightful discussion. It really, most of it is focusing on mental health and acting. That wasn't, a, I don't know, I always go into... Uh, these conversations with open hands. Um, but yeah, that is definitely where it took it. If you are an actor and you're needing a pep talk, if you know someone that needs a pep talk, put this on. Lauren just goes for it. She's fantastic. Um, she brings a lot of perspective to how this business works, um, how important community is, and just also just lifting up and encouraging your fellow actors and um, the purpose and the importance of perspective. Um, like the perspective right now, I didn't get to use my intro, but now I'm getting to introduce her better. Enjoy. Oh, I forgot to say, please, you just clicked, um, on play for this. Please go right now and, um, rate, review, and subscribe. That sounds like I'm a YouTuber. Honestly, just rate it. I think I'm at like 33. I want more. My birthday's coming up and that would make me happy and I appreciate it. Just being honest, I'm manifesting this. I want more ratings on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to do a great job. That's what I always tell myself before. I did do a great job. Lauren did a great job. And uh, thanks so much for listening. All right. Love you guys. Bye-bye. How are you today, babe? I'm great. I'm great. I'm really excited about this. Um, human connection after the year we've had. Like, you just take it for granted, you know? I mean, this podcast... It's like, it really has turned into a part-time job that I don't get paid for, which is life. But, um, but it's just like, it's so worth it. Like, that's why I do all the hustle jobs is so I can do this or I can work on a VST show and I dedicate like so much of my life, but like to it, but like, I'm still happy just because we get to do the creative side stuff, but you've had you have like a pretty busy time going on. How did the dynasty shoot go? It was so much fun. It was, so yeah. I, I'm super grateful. I was really, really excited about that one. I just, yeah. I love that show. And funnily enough, it was the show that when I decided to move to Atlanta and I kind of wrote my list of all the shows that film in Atlanta, it was the first one I sat down to watch. I was like, okay, I really want to be on dynasty. It's just, so it was a really cool moment. It, it, and it's airing around my third year being in Atlanta. I'm guessing you'd been out for the show before. I hadn't. I hadn't been really? out before. And oh my gosh, have we started? I'm nervous. I listened to your your interview with Hannah today and I heard you say that you get nervous. I'm nervous. But yeah, let's talk about the Dynasty audition. How'd that, how'd that go for you? 
it was a good lesson for me in not white knuckling and overthinking because I mm-hmm. was I was lucky enough at the time to be working with Jono and Madison on Courtney Gets Possessed. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I taped it with my friend before going to set that day. It's like, okay, we got it. You know, I could, I didn't have time to obsessive over it or overthink, which is one of my specialties. Yeah. So it was nice to just say, you know, trust your choices, put it on tape. If it's for you, it's for you. And I think that's something that we have to remind ourselves of that if it's for you, it's for you. It doesn't matter if you micromanage those choices that you're making or not, it's just reminding yourself to play and have a good time when you're auditioning. That's so amazing. I was just talking to a friend about how it's usually the auditions where you're like, it's okay if I don't book it or I've got to get this on tape. I don't want to turn it down, but, and then it's usually, those are the ones that we we book because we like finally let go of that extra thing. It's so funny. You're such a good, um, for anyone that's not an actor, actors say this to each other and sometimes it's kind of BS, but this isn't like, you're such a good fit for dynasty. I'm honestly, well, you know, like different people have those like looks. Um, but yeah, it makes so much sense that you got dynasty. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful. A lot of fun. And just the costumes on that show. Cause I know you love thrifting and you love, uh, costuming the costumes on that show. Oh my gosh. Wait, did you work with Allie? Yes. She was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I love her. She's, she is so talented. Yeah. talented. She's incredible. Everything she had fit me like a glove and I felt like a million dollars. I was feeling very, very lucky. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. What a small world. Is she like, she had this like warmth just through the screen. Mm -hmm. And, um, she, we were texting about, uh, something like a week or so ago. She was like, I wish COVID wasn't happening so you could come on set. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) I want to come on the dynasty set. So it'll happen. It'll happen. No. Um, my favorite way I think to get in with actors is when did you start was, and if it, if it was like when you were a kid where you were really precocious kid, or were you more of a shy, introspective stare into the well child? I I love it. So I was born in Los Angeles and my mom was really smart. She put me in commercials. So I went on my first audition at six months old. And she just said, you know, let's save for college. And as I got older and could communicate, um, Mm -hmm. she would always say, if you're not having fun, let's not do this. And you just let me know if you're not having fun. And so she was not a stage mom by any means. And she could see how much I loved it. And so I auditioned when I was in California and did um, a lot of commercials, kind of got close to some big things as a kiddo um, for tele for film specifically and then we moved around a lot for my dad's job and ended up moving to London and I was the girl with the American accent there so I was very lucky to be able to work over there so that it 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 was a winding road and then I I ended up in New York for 10 years and then did some regional theater and then moved to Atlanta three years ago dude you've done the triple Triple Crown, I guess you did Los. Is that I'm making that up? You're, you've done Los Angeles, 
New York, and Atlanta. We got to trademark that triple crown for you. What made you decide to come to Atlanta? Was that a hard decision? I went back out to LA after I graduated from NYU and fell into the hands of a horrible manager who said terrible things like you're never going to be thin and pretty enough to be on television. And what are you willing to do for this career? All of that kind of stereotypical LA stuff that I believe is changing, thankfully. And so I was out there with my friend, Ali Stroker, who's incredible. And she said, you know, this is not you, you're chasing the superficial and, you know, go home and do, you know, do theater and do what you love and, and work with kids again. And so I had to go back to New York and reset. And after 10 years in New York, I was really tired. And I just decided, you know, there's great regional theaters in Florida. My mom lives in Florida. I went and I was teaching full-time actually, and then doing theater on the side. And I helped open a spin studio in Florida and was, and thought that that was it. And then things fell apart. And it was this really unfortunate series of events that crushed me because some jobs fell apart and it was just a unfortunate kind of, you know, what hitting the fan and Mm -hmm. In that moment, something had been telling me to look at Atlanta because I saw everything that was happening here. And just in a moment, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Atlanta. And I didn't, I couldn't explain it. I just followed the hunch. I made the decision. And I have a great friend who told me, you know, go back and forth to Atlanta, stay in different Airbnbs, make sure you like being there unemployed because then employment will be icing on the cake. So I, for about a year, I came back and forth to Atlanta started, you know, taking classes and, um, I didn't know anyone here. So, you know, trying to, I mean, I literally asked people, I didn't know out to coffee and there were very, very mm-hmm. kind people who were like, sure, stranger, I'll come <laughs> to coffee with you. And, um, I just started kind of working on building community here. And then I made the move. And for the first three months, cried myself to sleep because I didn't know people. And it was, you know, I just kept asking myself, what am I doing? What am I doing? And, uh, I'll give Jesse Malinowski major credit because I worked at Get Seen when I first moved here and I had a consult with him and I was, I just said, I was like, what if this doesn't work out? And in the, in the moment he paused and he was like, why would you ever say that to yourself? Like, what, mm-hmm. what good does that do? Like just run towards this, trusting that it's going to work out. And that really helped shape my mindset when I moved here. So I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and saying, you know, I'm going to focus on taking class and, and building a life here and we'll see what happens. I'll give it a year. And Mm -hmm. it's been the best thing I ever did to move. I'm really grateful. The people here are incredible and really supportive and we love to see each other win, you know, and that's, that wasn't the experience I had in other markets. (laughs) So, um, as you know, I'm a preschool teacher at heart. I want to see other people happy and thriving and doing well. And then, you know, we can all share that together. So Mm-hmm. Atlanta's really great about that. I feel like I'm subtly trying to make a commercial for Atlanta yeah. um, because that has been like the best experience or the best part of this experience. And also you've been in other cities where you didn't have this tight of a community, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And I did as well. And so I think, I think because we've been in other markets, we know how special this is. Honey. Like, it, and, and just like so many people aren't, having that support. And, um, I I just, I wouldn't have been able to stick it out in 
I just, I really don't think I could have. Um, and yeah, Jacqueline Crane is the person that got me to come and hang out with her for a week. Mm-hmm. I love her. I love I, her. I love her so much. I like want her to come back to Atlanta, but I also know she's like thriving in London. Um, Good. Yeah, she's doing great. But that was like the main selling point that she kept repeating is she's like, everyone's rooting for each other here. Everyone's rooting for each other here. And I think the lesson there for me was if things fall apart, it's often because something else is supposed to come together. I was just telling a customer that today her, she's had this really rough time in the past couple months. And then now she's made a great switch for her life. And the best things have come for me after something awful, because you're like, okay, whatever this is, is it working? One of my favorite things to say is you're never being broken. You're being built. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very corny. Anything that is halfway decent about me has come out of the hardest times in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try to remind myself of that when I'm in it, you know? <laughs> and also I think it gets easier. Like I, like this past year, I had some really rough patches And then this year, um, I was going through a little bit of some boy drama and then I was like, oh, but last year was so much worse. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, never mind. I'm like, "Mm, you're not that cute. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're fine. Um, and then I was able to just kind of like laugh and move forward. I was looking at what you've booked here and you book, um, also congratulations on sorority row. Everything on um, IMDb Pro, guys, also you get to see an inside look on what everyone has booked and is in post-production. And you have like a lot of things in the in the queue coming out and you book a lot of horror stuff too, which I think is funny because you're so nice Thank and <laughs> pleasant. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad that's on the record because I have a lot of terrible human beings in the can. And I- yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm getting cast as really terrible humans. So I appreciate you saying that. That's yeah. sort of confident. I give off um, naivety or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin Lewis says, I have a really slow blink. Um, I love Dustin. I do too. I do too. But he was like, that is your special quality. You have a slow blink. And I was like, great. Um, Take that slow blink to the bank, girl. Dude, Kat Barnes doesn't blink. She was like, I'm so jealous. And she'll have to watch a take back and she'll be like, shit, I didn't blink. And which is just wild. I keep saying her name so people know that I'm friends with her. Yeah, I'm going to say her name too, Kat Barnes. She's Mm -hmm. also my friend. She's the best. Um, So how does it feel to have people putting you in a certain box? I strangely love it. I... So when I was in LA, I took this class that we had to go up on, on stage, turn our back to everyone. And people had to just call out impressions. And they said things like, you know, sweetest cherry pie, Reese Witherspoon, uh, girl next door cries a lot, crazy eyes. And I'm listening going, okay. Oh, sure. Okay. And then I go home and I'm processing. I'm 23 years old and just moved out there. And I burst into tears. I was like, cries a lot. That is so mean. And then I bust out laughing. I was like, yeah, she does. She (laughs) does cry a lot. She has so many feelings. But when you take the things that people 
see in you or however you're perceived, if you just take it, own it, and then take it to the bank, it's like, mm -hmm. why work against it? And my, my philosophy is however people see me, that's how they see me. I'm going to run towards it and then hopefully surprise the hell out of them. Like that's my dream of dreams to be that girl who, who someone sees and they're like, I don't know what the hell her name is. I can't say it first of all. And also she was in that thing and she played that psychopath. And then she was really funny in that other thing. Like that's my dream to just shock a lot of people regularly. You know, your reel definitely does that. Cause I was watching it and you're doing all these creepy things. And then you're in that, that kid show in this bright yellow classroom. And then you're like a teacher and then you start rapping. And I was like, and that is range everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is strange. Re I play stupid so well and I love it. it it's, <laughs> it's funny. But then in the real world, I think people hear these long words and I have a deeper voice and I enunciate the heck out of everything. And it's kind of this like, wait, she's, she's smart, but also she jumps around in pink fluffy dresses you know you mentioned it earlier but like you have to laugh through life and keep going and I think that's the but that is my life raft like just being able mm -hmm. to laugh at yourself and I think being able for any actors listening being able to laugh at this business you know mm -hmm. because we love it so much and it feels so deeply personal because it's our heart and our soul in it and then also sometimes the best actor doesn't get the role because they're two inches too tall. What advice do you have? Because I know that you work um, at, and also everyone should take Lauren's class. My first introduction to you, you were, it was one of the like, the like, just, I don't remember. It was over Zoom and you were like walking us through a character. And I, yeah. And I hadn't done any like acting in like a, a proper acting in probably a year just like Zoom audition classes and um, you're so fabulous. But um, what do you tell like your students or yourself when you start getting discouraged? Um, just on like, why aren't, cause like right now, love my agent, but I'm not getting like, I'm getting an audition maybe every three weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I'm filming my friends and they literally, I'm coming over like every other morning, which I want to do to film them. But like some are auditioning so many times a week. What do you do when like that comparison starts hitting? So oh, I love this question. So what I'll say is I've run into this thing lately where people will be like, oh my God, you're killing it. And I'm like, I went on my first audition at six months old. I'm now of dinosaur age, right? You mean all things considered. And it, it feels like everything's a miracle because things are starting to happen. But when mm -hmm. I tell you putting in the legwork, it, I couldn't book my way out of a paper bag in my twenties. Like, I don't know where mm -hmm. the hell that, that phrase. I like I heard someone say it once. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna, that's, that's a saying now. Yeah. Um, but I really, I mean, I moved out to LA and I was auditioning before that I was auditioning in New York. And I, I mean, I did some off, off, off Broadway that I loved and was so, so grateful to be a part of, but I mean, film and television, no, no dice. Mm. And it, all of that, I look back and for a long time, I thought I had failed and I stepped away from the industry and I was like, I guess I'm just meant to do theater and, and for the love of it and not, you know, it's not going to work out for me. And I just realized everything I was walking through was preparing me for what was to come. Right. You know, mm -hmm. LA felt like a failure. New York felt like a failure. It, it, and now I look back and I, 
everything that I draw on now are things that I've walked through, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think for anyone comparing, I love to say that we don't post the pictures of us crying in our car on social media, you know, Mm -hmm. and you never know what someone has walked through to get to where they are and what they've overcome and, and, and whether they're happy, you know, we know that, I mean, it's, it's cliche, it's a cliche, but some of the most successful, wealthiest, you know, seemingly happy people are deeply alone and, and unhappy and bless them. That's a horrible thing to say, but it, you know, it, the, the things that we get attached to that we think are going to be it don't guarantee fulfillment Mm -hmm. and happiness. And I know it's, it's seemingly obvious, but I have to remind myself of that. If I like, if I'm up for something that I get a little bit too attached to, I'm like, you don't need this job. This is not the answer. This is not going to fulfill you. Right. Um, so, and I, I always tell myself, if you're not happy today, when's it going to be enough? Right. Mm. And I do yeah. practice because I do not believe in toxic positivity. I don't believe we should just be these robots that everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because I've walked through some really dark periods where everything was not fine and I needed to do some healing. And I, and, and that's a process like, you know, healing or, and health and mental wellness. They're not linear right? It's, it's getting out of alignment and then realigning. It's feeling, you know, having those off days, having, you know, off periods of time and then learning from it and kind of evolving from there. Have you ever read Amy Poehler's um, book? Yeah. She has that great little chapter on your career being a bad boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I was with another actor yesterday and we were just kind of you know, talking about the industry. And I was like, man, it sounds like an abusive relationship. And it can be if you let it happen to you, you know, and you have to just kind of treat it like, you know, gonna love me today. No. Okay. You know, I'm going to go do my thing. You know, let me know when you want to hang out, but I'm not coming to, you know, I think, you know, you and I were talking about expectation and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, don't, don't put all your eggs in any basket, right? Like don't go for the man who's not available. And, and then with, or, or woman that's unavailable. And then with the, with the industry, it's like, just see how it unfolds. And if you put your worth in dating, if you put your worth in the industry, it's going to be a freaking roller coaster, right? Yeah. Cause you can get excited about the things you can, you can enjoy being on set and love it. But if it matters too much, like I get really worried for people I love when they're like, I just want to be on set because there are some sets that are terrible, right? Like, and I just want to be in a relationship. There's some relationships that are terrible. So I Mm -hmm. think the more we can practice detachment, right? It's um, saying, yes, I would love these opportunities. I would love to have this kind of career, but also let's throw our hands up and see what happens you know, and Mm. not force and not chase and not, I I think whether it's dating or career, any kind of desperation, you can feel it. Cause I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in not caring about jobs. Like there, there was this moment when I was living in New York, I called my dad, I was at an equity open call for wicked. And I was there at five in the morning in line. Mm -hmm. I was like, dad, I just love this show so much. I'm going to, I'm going to play Glenda. And I remember my dad and I love him. He's so supportive, but I remember him saying like, Lauren, please don't get your hopes up. 
I was like, if we don't believe it's going to work out, if we don't run towards it with the belief Mm -hmm. it's going to work out, but not needing it, then Mm -hmm. what are we doing? You know? So I think it's that dance. I just want to clarify that. I think it's saying, okay, I would love to be a part of this project. I'll give it my all trusting that that's part of my conditioning for the roles I'm going to play. Right. It's Mm -hmm. preparing you for the roles you are going to play not saying if I don't make it to Broadway, then who am I? What am I? What's it all worth? Right. Yeah. And I mean, myself at some points, I was at this point last year where I was like, I've dedicated my whole life to becoming good at acting and, um, people roll their eyes. I've told this a thousand times, but within, I want to say 48 hours of being in New York after finishing grad school, I was told by a casting director who had never seen me act. Um, have you ever considered being a casting director? Which I think I would actually be really good at, but also just, she was like, you're a, look at you kind of like, like, sorry, sweetheart. There are so many of you, you know? And she's like, "Uh, have you ever tried casting? You know, like already throwing out an option B to me just because it was like, you don't have anything else to offer. And I was just, it was just soul crushing because my, the grad school had been the dream of dream of dreams. So it was like, if this dream can come true, which maybe that was like Tish for you, if this dream can come true, oh my gosh, then like, I really am set off for this destiny that I've always thought I was going to have as a kid. And then I think that's maybe why I was even more disappointed once I started like the career side of things, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And what I want to speak to two things that you just brought up. One, people will say things and we hold on to them without questioning the source. So to me, I hear that story and I'm like, wow, that's a very sad, jaded, bitter woman who sees someone with light in their eyes and, you know, for lack of better, a song in their heart, like let's just say it, and wants to say, you know what, sweetie, it didn't work out for me. It's not going to work out for you. And that's not your story. That's her projecting her pain onto you. Right. But we, as these open, caring human beings take it on. It's like the manager with me in LA. I mean, I gave up and I was like, never doing this again, but Mm -hmm. I needed to walk through that. And I think, you know, to your point about the destiny that we imagine as a child, I think that that loops back to the expectation thing that, you know, you can have a dream and then it's recognizing what goes into the dream is a job, right? Mm -hmm. It's this amazing, incredible industry that allows us these fantastic opportunities and also everything you have ever dreamt of will make you very tired and can hurt. And Mm -hmm. all of these things can coexist. So I think it's how do we, in the midst of that, when we have comments like that terrible casting director or a evil manager, how do we not become jaded, right? Mm -hmm. How do you keep that light in your eyes? How do you, and I think that's something that I'm really passionate about is wanting to encourage others to recognize how amazing they are because we don't often hear it in this business, right? And it's an incredibly brave, inspirational thing to run at the thing you love every day. When I heard this story, I was like, okay, well, I want to be like Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So, but Mm -hmm. she talked 
about meeting the director of Fleabag and then who became her main collaborator. She was a director of Phoebe's boyfriend show. Mm-hmm. So she goes down in the pub after the show and is like, gotta introduce myself. She's like, hi, um, director, I'm an actor. My name's Phoebe. And the director goes, oh, you're an actor? How wonderful. You know, like, that's amazing. You're an actor. And how many times have we ever gotten that reaction? And the fact that this person was just so open-hearted and is like, cool. Because I think sometimes we say actor and people are like, oh boy, you know, you and 5 billion other people, you know, but just like the fact that she got this warm reception and then they became life collaborators and have gone on to make this amazing work. Like, what if we approached people with that? And now, I mean, the thing I do say um, of like, you know, younger kids from my hometown have been like, I want to be an actor. And my main thing isn't, um, I don't say, can you imagine yourself doing anything else? I'm more just, I like to say, how will you feel if you never quote unquote, make it to the career you want? Are you going to be happy just pursuing this with your whole heart? And are you going to be taking care of your mental health? Like, are you going to be taking care of yourself through this process? Because then if the answer is yes to both things that you just love it and you're going to be okay, if you don't become Florence Pugh, then like, yeah, go for it. But just know that it's going to, you're also by committing to being an actor, you're committing to taking care of yourself Mm. and your heart. Um, I just think that's, because also saying, can you imagine yourself being, doing another career? I'm like, yeah, I'm an actor. (laughs) I'm so glad that you said that because when I was in college, one of the first things that happened when I got to NYU, I had a professor say, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else other than this business, go do that because this is the hardest profession there is. And it was some of the worst advice I ever got because I think you should have so many things that you love, that fulfill you, that make you a well-rounded dynamic person. And then the bookings are the icing on the cake, right? So it's so interesting because I hear that all the time and people talk about how hard it is and how... And I think no matter what, it, it, it's how you perceive something. You can perceive something as rejection or you can perceive it as redirection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this isn't my door right now, but who was in that room who five years from now is going to be like, you know who's right? That blonde bitch, right? And mm-hmm. you just don't know. And it happens all the time. So I think, you know, um, you asked earlier, what advice would I have if people are comparing their self, themselves to other people? I heard someone say during the pandemic on a Zoom call, and I became obsessed with this quote, a racehorse wears blinders for a reason. Mm. And I don't believe that it's a sprint. It is a damn marathon. But the more you're looking at what do they have going on? What do they, you don't know when, I mean, look at Aunt Lydia in Handmaid's Tale. I mean, her career, she's been at it forever and her, and she has this beautiful article. Um, she had an accepted speech in glamor. I'll have to send it to you. Maybe you can link it in the yeah. but she talks about the beauty of making it later in life. And I think, you know, you can compare yourself to someone else when you have no idea what they have going on behind the scenes, what it's taken to get them there, if they're even fulfilled. And then you just don't know when your time is coming and you can be so busy looking at other people 
that you miss, like your, your eyes are on your phone and you miss the opportunity to collaborate with someone. You miss the opportunity to, you know, go live your life. So yeah. it's tricky because social media, it, there, there's so much good in it. Yeah, yeah. I think it can. I mean, I moved to Atlanta not knowing anyone and found studios and it met people via social media. So I can't hate on it because it helped me build a life in a brand new city. Mm-hmm. But if you go down that rabbit hole of what do they have going on, that's, you know, a tricky, tricky place. It's such, it's such a delicate balance because I do have the podcast is a great way for me to meet people because I love one-on-one, mm-hmm. but I had really bad social anxiety growing up. And I honestly think if I would have had social media in high school, I might've actually had an easier time because I was maybe connecting with people online and then seeing them in person. So I do love social media. All of VST, I met them, um, who a lot of them are my best friends is because I blew them up on Instagram. When I saw a show, I like lost my mind and I became the unofficial spokesperson for the show. I didn't realize how not cool that was because if I'm excited, I'm just excited. And so all of them individually were like, who is this? You know what? You know? I'm just going to lovingly redirect that statement because you're in good company. I am never cool. And you know what? I feel like your enthusiasm and your, your light, like, do you know how much that meant to them company to have someone so excited about their work? Like if you were cool and just kind of, you know, quote unquote cool and like, didn't really like get that excited about it. It, it you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be doing costumes for them. Do small talk very well. That's one thing. I'm like hopes and dreams. What is the most yeah. cool moment in your life? Tell me all things. I mean, I don't know. I kind of call it, and it's not a manipulative thing, but I call it sometimes an emotional striptease. If I want someone to open up, I'm kind of like, okay, like here's something that happened to me. And everyone's like, oh, well, she just revealed that about herself. I don't want her to feel alone. You know, I don't want her to be the only person being vulnerable. And so then they'll start opening up and then we've both, we've both done it. Um, Can I just ask, I'm very excited about this audition horror story that you mentioned. I've never told this. And we've got an exclusive, guys. I love it. It's very embarrassing. I'm so excited. So I need you to know, I am a goody goody to the core, mm-hmm. and um, that was that was particularly intense during my upbringing. So I was the kid who gave herself timeouts. I was very shelter and no one and my mom was like get off the stairs you're not in timeout you've done nothing wrong but I just I've always been a rule follower I've I'm working on not being a people pleaser um but in high school I went to school in London and we had access I mean you could drink in a pub at 14 and with food is that the drink with with food in a pub you could drink at 14 and a lot of people um we're doing pretty heavy drugs in high school, you know? Um, and I hadn't so much as smoked a cigarette and I was pretty sheltered. And, um, I moved to New York at 18 and I had a really big audition. I, I moved to the city and I was up for this big role on a, on a soap. And so auditions started coming in and it was, you want to talk about too soon, too soon. And at 18, I had this huge audition and I'm in the room with this casting director and they're like, okay, so it's, you know, it's doggy style. And I'm like, 
Ooh. Oh, and it, it's for a comedy. And I literally panted like a dog because I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> so I panted. No. I panted no. like a dog. And it was just, it was this dumb, it was supposed to be. It's, it's, it's terrible. The roles that I went out for when I first moved to the city were like, you know, dumb girl being done over desk, right? And thankfully we're not seeing that anymore, but it's part of what like really made it tricky about navigating the industry when the, the original box they wanted to put me into was hot blonde. And I've always internally been mature. So it never read. It was like, wait, she's supposed to be hot, but she like wants to talk about her feelings. What's going on? <laughs> so, Why is there um, so much light behind her eye? <laughs> Can stop that? So yeah, I panted like a dog and that's on tape somewhere. Um, and bless her. She just had no idea. And then, then some years later, after living in New York, I put two and two together and I was horrified. Um, but yeah, all that to say, I was, I was quite a good girl growing up. Yeah. And bless her. So yeah, oh. I'm so sorry to share that horror story. It was, oh, it was, no, I think that maybe has taken the cake as of now. Oh, thank you. When that casting director has a bad day, she pulls that out and laughs, you know, that's all I can hope. Or like, you know, that it's being brought up in some kind of class or you're like, you are probably a famous anecdote. Thank you Um, so much. Thank you. no one will remember it's you. Maybe like one day you're going to be on like a big Zoom conference call. And she's going to be like, there was actually a girl once and she came into the office. Um, ever on a talk show and that, and that footage is leaked. I just want to say, I wish everyone could see how red I am right now. I haven't been so nervous. No. Yeah. In like a good way. I'm excited. I get yeah. so excited about things. <laughs> Your blood is like pumping. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm beat red. So I'm very glad no. this isn't a visual medium. <laughs> no, I always get sweaty during these. Also, sometimes I leave these. I'm doing great right now, but some of them are very mentally exhausting and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I have to like go and nap after these yeah. because I'm, like really focused on a person. And if I'm having to like really pull answers out of them, I have to like go and go and like, nap afterwards there do you know Katerina yes I love her oh my gosh I I she's the best and um and there was once I had just done an interview with someone and then I went on a walk with Katerina and I told her I was like I feel so bad because she's also so deep this is like four hours of deep conversation in like a half hour time span I have learned just teaching via zoom that you expend so much energy trying to Mm. connect because we're just used to being able to look in someone's eyes and and be present with them right in person but like in normal conversations you look away and in zoom you're trying so hard to signal to the person like i'm here Mm -hmm. um tell me about teaching with um arvold i they're my favorite studio in town i think they're amazing they're amazing um so when I first moved here I took her class at drama inc Mm, and mm -hmm. I just loved her just loved her philosophy of teaching and I loved that class and met incredible people in it and she and I stayed in touch and she reached out to me when she was looking for teachers and I 
I started training right before the pandemic and then taught online through the pandemic. I'm still teaching online. And um, we've got a membership, an online membership, uh, which is amazing. And I run this whole mindset program for it, uh, which I'm really grateful because, you know, you and I have talked about mental wellness and and Mm -hmm. within this industry. And it's something that I'm really passionate about and I've always wanted to make an impact in that, in the mental wellness space. And Erica was amazing. She was like, there's no reason you can't do that now. Like you can do it now. And I think that's the thing is sometimes we think we need to arrive to make an impact. And it's one thing I think about on social media is if you had, if you were in a room with eight people and you had the opportunity to influence them, that's eight lives, right? So if you have eight or more followers, you know, one or more followers, that's, it's putting content out there that hopefully inspires people and, and doesn't make them feel like trash fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one thing I'm really grateful for with Arvold is they've given me a uh, opportunity to connect with actors and try to uplift them and connect with them. And we have these monthly mindset meetups and um, putting content out for as part of the membership in addition to teaching. So I'm just really grateful mm-hmm. to be part of it. Yeah. That's amazing. And teaching um, that, that, that awful, awful quote was one of the reasons I was like, I never want to teach or da, da, da. And then of course I found out, I really, really love it. Um, Like those who can't teach. And I've actually, one of my things I've always thought is I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to teach until I know I can really do this. I think it's actually like quite the opposite thing because there's so many people that teach and really have no business to. I'm so um, glad you said that because my my high school drama teacher and my mentor growing up in London, they both were working actors and mm-hmm. they really instilled in me that it's not that those who can't do teach, it's that those who can do, do, and then want to pass that passion on, right? Yeah. Because I mean, I have countless people in my life that if they hadn't inspired me, if they hadn't guided me, if they hadn't encouraged me, I wouldn't be doing this, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I want to be that person for other actors, you know? Like how exciting it is when you see your students start to succeed, you know? It's, I, my, Erica and I were just talking about this. One of my favorite things is to see someone have a breakthrough, you Mm -hmm. know? And I try to bring students back to, you know, because it's a collaboration working with people. We're, we're all, Mm -hmm growing always. And I think having that beginner's mindset is really important so that you're always learning. You don't go to the gym once, right? Um, so to be in class and to continue working on your craft and to say, I have to remind myself consciously that I do this because I love it. Cause it's so easy. You can, you know, you can be putting something on tape and the noise creeps in, right? And to mm-hmm. remind yourself that you get to do what you love. It's a muscle, I think, doing that. Because it's so easy to either beat yourself up or, or get too intense and overthink. Um, but I think that that's a practice that's really important to say, oh, this is the thing I love and I get to do it. And I get to be this character for even yeah. 20 minutes. I love being people's readers um, just because it, it's kind of nice because I get to do something. But also all my only job is to contribute nothing else but to contribute to someone else I know I'm good at this and for a second me being good at it could help someone else and um and I think that's so cool can we really fast I mean I don't like to say like good at social media because that's dumb and what does good at social media mean but what's your relationship with social media because 
for one, I don't know how you have so many beautiful, professional, gorgeous pictures of you. Oh, Rebecca, I paid for them. Lola Scott, man. Oh, Lola Scott. It's sorry. To, sorry to interject. I just love to say Lola Scott and gosh. Yeah. That's I, I, she's definitely been a photographer for, um, other images, uh, other people's photos that I've used for the podcast. What's your relationship with social media? Because there's this like whole other almost business where it's like actors market yourself and market yourself. And I, I'm not, I don't think I make a good package. You know what I mean? I'm not a, I love this question. So I'm of the mindset that you have to use it in a way that works for you and empowers you. And that, you know, it's just like anything else. If, if there are people that I'm not for that don't want to follow me, great, cool. But I'm going to use it hopefully to inspire other people to, I mean, I, I love to look back and say, holy crap. If three years ago, I knew that I'd build a life in Atlanta and I wouldn't be crying myself to sleep, I would be beside myself. So sometimes, you know, if I'm having a moment, I'll just kind of look back and be like, all right, you know, you didn't think you'd be here in three years. So what's the next three years going to hold? You know, I love to celebrate other people on social media. And when you ask about the images, I try to be very, um, I, I try to be conscious about posting things to kind of poke fun at myself and not take myself too seriously. I don't want everything to feel very curated, but also part of my job as an actor is to be comfortable in front of the camera. So mm-hmm. collaborating with people like Lola Scott, um, I, there's another um, photographer in town, Colleen with um, XXII photo. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Colleen, if I messed that up, um, but she's fantastic. And, and part of that is me really owning being in front of the camera and being comfortable because I think as actors we get very used to having photos taken of our head and I want to think okay ideally where where do I want to see myself I want to see myself in a magazine spread talking about empowering other women and feeling good in your body and breaking you know the the norms in Hollywood right and feeling confident in my skin. And I need to practice that, right? I am a human being with a complicated history around body image. So for me, I'm like, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to feel like a million dollars in front of the camera and practice that so that when that opportunity presents itself, I'm not, um, I'm not getting in my own way by being in my, my, uh, by being in my head about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's such a great way to approach it putting yourself out there of like, yeah, look at me, look at this. This is great. Look at my jacket, you know? And look at my jacket. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I have a rule that I don't go on social media if it's not intentional. So if I'm going to go on and aggressively like people's stuff and, and celebrate their wins and celebrate what they're putting out there. Awesome. But if I'm having a down day, if I'm in my feels about something, I will not, I mean, I will delete the app from my phone because that's Mm -hmm. just walking into, oh, so-and-so is doing this today and I'm trash, right? Just because our brains lie to us, you know, and that Mm -hmm. feeling will pass. But if I, if I pour gasoline onto the fire, the emotional health fire, if you will, um, then social media is designed for that. It's designed to make us feel less than. So we go buy the 
hydro jug water thing. Do you get those ads? Uh, no, but I, I do understand that there is a viral water bottle. Yeah, right now. that's it. That's it. Now, yep. now we've talked about it. So it's going to pop up on your phone. I'm so sorry. It is. I mean, I'm not opposed to a viral water bottle, but apparently, yeah, that's a thing. Um, okay, good. I was frozen for a second. Um, yeah, it, and it's like, uh, it's so embarrassing how I've like literally clicked out of Instagram, turned my phone off and then without even realizing it, my hand has opened it again, you know? And it's, it's just like, wait, I was just here. I was just looking at this picture uh, and, and I know it's not all negative, but it, it is so addictive. And, um, yeah, possibly after this, I'm saying it out loud, but even just turning once we're done with this conversation, just like leaving, I, I usually don't have the willpower. I literally have to like leave it at the house and go on a walk and like intentionally sit at a bench and be like, no one needs to call you. Well, you don't need to talk to anybody, you know, slot machine in your pocket, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. designed to be addictive. And, you know, I'm sure, did you see the social dilemma? It's like, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great documentary. And it's just, you know, once you realize there's a team of people behind these apps and behind, you know, designing these programs to get you addicted, then you don't have to have the guilt around it. I mean, I mm-hmm. literally write in my calendar phone off and I'll turn my phone off and I'll put it in my closet or I'll put it in a drawer or I'll, because mm-hmm. I I'm the same way. I'm, I'll just compulsively pick it up. And my favorite thing to do is to watch my screen time go down. You know, you know how you get your weekly report. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> that is, I, I don't even, I don't get my weekly reports because I think I would be bummed out. This is something, um, I don't think I've ever said out loud, but I think as actors, there's an, a different level of, for one, uh, being an actor, I think one thing we don't talk about is we're always living on hope totally, but also there's this kind of like jarring, like any second my life could change any second that casting director can send that audition for something else I've done. And Cause you hear those like magic stories of like, you know, the guy from friends, I had $1 in my pocket and then I booked friends, you know? And so sometimes I'm like, just kind of like sitting there bummed out. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for my life to magically change. And I'll check my email and be like, has Laura emailed me an audition? You know, like, and I'll just be compulsively because literally, I mean, anyone's life could change with one email, but with actors, our lives could dramatically change with one email. And so it's almost like my phone is that portal into like, Mm. maybe it changing, you know? You know, what's interesting. I'm glad you brought this up because the thing I've noticed, I've, I've had some friends who've become, I mean, uber, uber, uber successful. And the interesting thing is because they're wonderful, great grounded people, they just became more of who they are. You know, like the opportunities became larger and the scope of what they can do is larger, but they're still very much who they are dealing with their problems, you know, and it's, it, I hate to say it, but you know, the, the larger the game, the more problems in a way, you know? And I don't mean that in a negative way. It just, there's more to juggle. There's more to balance. There's more to, so I, I hear you a hundred percent, but I try to focus on today and managing today because it's 
preparation for when things become even more abundant, you know, we still have life stuff. We still have heartbreak. We still have, you know, bills and, and, and then we're juggling a high pressure job on top of it. So, you know, I think it's reminding ourselves that we have everything we need right now and Mm -hmm. opportunities will continue to come. And if we're lucky, life is long, right. Yeah. And there, there will be more and more opportunities, but I think there is that, that fallacy of that job is going to change my life and fix me. Something can change your life, but it's not going to fix anything. Adam Sandler hosted SNL semi-recently and he, he's like doing a commercial for Italian. He's like, we're going on a tour of Italy. He's like, but if you hate, or if you're depressed in America, you will still be depressed in Italy. If you have a bad marriage in America, it will still be bad in Italy. And I just think that's such a good way to to put it, you know? Do you, I don't know if you know anything about Warren Buffett, but he lives in the same house. I mean, he's a gazillionaire and he lives in the same house he's lived in his whole life, like since he was 40 or something. And he lives well below his means. And he just donated gazillions of dollars to charity and said, everything that made me happy at 40 makes me happy now. And mm. he said, you know, society can use my money. We need more billionaires like Warren Buffett is what I'm saying. Yeah. But I think not being driven by the material, not being driven by the fame, not being driven by the titles and the awards is really important to what, to your point about giving kids advice, you know, if you, if you want to be an artist, if you want to pursue mm-hmm. this and be an artist, that's an amazing thing. And also take care of yourself. But if you want to be a famous person, that's chasing a carrot that it's never going to be enough. Maybe this is a lie, but I've heard that Kira Knightley gives herself like an allowance of $50,000 a year, mm. which I mean, that sounds amazing, but like considering that she's one of the biggest box office pulls and I'm sure like, you know, her, like, I'm sure like her house and there are still things, but for the most part, she's like, yeah, went on vacation with my girlfriends and we did kind of a regular, you know, girlfriends, uh, vacation. Cause I have an allowance of $50,000 a year, you know, like I'm, I, I can't just jet set around the world, even though you know, she's freaking Kira Knightley. I feel like this whole interview, Lauren, you've been telling me your search for pink, oh. but can I ask you specifically? Cause it, I mean, and one thing I love about talking to you is you, it's very clear that you have gone through hard times. So all of this advice is very well earned. Mm. If you're to take a nugget from this gold mine you've given us, uh, what would you kind of want to leave us with on how you've continued to like search for the joy? Um, during hard times. I don't believe there are any accidents. And I got very giddy when I saw the title of your podcast, because (laughs) when I was, I mean, first of all, I adore you. And I, I was so excited to be a part of it. But when I was living in New York, I became friendly with Taylor Schilling as she was starting Orange is the New Black. Mm. And I was going through a very rough time in New York. And she wrote me this note and she said, Lauren, people are going to tell you that things are black and white, but honey, your path is pink. And I held on to it and it meant the absolute world to me. And I think the nugget I would want to leave people with is whether it's pink, whether it's yellow, whether whatever resonates with you, just 
trusting how your life is unfolding. And you're going to look back and you're going to connect the dots. And if there's any time you can alleviate suffering for yourself or Mm -hmm. shame, I love to say that perfectionism is shame in a cuter outfit. Like you are a human being doing the best you can moment to moment. And everything you walk through will hopefully be part of you giving a hand or being a part of someone else's healing in some way, right? Like we all have to heal ourselves, but anytime I I walk, I talk about some of the things I've walked through with someone who can identify, I can see it get a little bit lighter for them. I can see them um, take a breath, right? And that, it makes everything worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think just having faith and knowing that everything works out the way it's supposed to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about the note because something that just popped into my mind and people pleasing and maybe trying to take care of people besides myself, like that's another thing. But I remember when Haley Swordot, which mm. love her, love her when she was in um, her first show with BST, um, on her social media, I heard her say repeatedly, I'm like, please come to the show. I can't believe that they gave me a part in this show. I, they're all my friends, but I thought they were being nice to me. Like, oh my gosh, it's such an honor to be in this show. Like, I can't believe I was cast. You know, great. Haley is very humble, you know, and awesome. But I then was watching her in her second show. She was like contributing and she was there and she was present and she was like giving great things. And there was never a moment of doubt on her face. And she had just been rocking at that rehearsal. And I left her a voice note where I was just like, hey, I want to remind you that your last show, you literally couldn't fathom that you were in it. Mm. And you are, you are so aware and you know your place and you are not doubting for a second that you belong to be in that room now. And like, I just want to point out to you how that is so much growth, you know? And, um, I don't know, maybe she's forgotten about it now, but I honestly don't think so because she told me later, she's like, I saved that note and I played it back multiple times. And I think sometimes when our own road gets rocky, um, not to ignore ourselves, but also as a reminder of like, we are here to also be like a signpost for our friends and our loved ones of like, Hey, you can't see this but I see this Mm -hmm. and this is actually ridiculous Mm -hmm. how much growth that you've had in the past year. And I think you are so personal and relational and that is so great, not just as a human, but in addition to your teaching, I think that's just so wonderful. I just don't ever want to look back and say that I, or the people in my circle or sphere um, didn't enjoy it. Right. Because Mm. it's, it's so 99.9% of our life is process. And if it's always, I need the thing and I, I gotta, I gotta get to where I'm going. Then you're going to, I just worry about looking back on my life and saying, man, I didn't have more fun. I didn't appreciate, you know, my friend Gabrielle and I have been saying lately, like, we're going to look back and say, these are the good old days. Like, we're going to look back on this when we were, you know, working together and, and encouraging each other that we, that's when 
we were putting in the legwork, right? That's when we were, mm-hmm. so I, to your point about supporting others, I think I, one of my favorite things to do is when I see something that I love in someone speaking it. And I think that's, it's something that's great about Atlanta. Like everyone that you've brought mm-hmm. up today, I don't know if you've noticed, but I love them. I love them. Because people <laughs> here just are, there's incredible artists who are kind and supportive and there's so much to celebrate here that mm-hmm. I, after not having that in other markets, it's just, I never take that for granted. Someone also said he was in, he's like, he's a working actor. He works in stuff really regularly, but I can't remember his name. He was in Smash, the Broadway oh, musical. Yeah, Jeremy Jordan. No, um, he was, he played the director, the very sexy Oh. very problematic director in the I show know exactly you're talking about with a British accent yes yeah he was so problematic and I was just like I was like very young but I still was like oh yeah. um confusing but, confusing yeah yeah very confusing um but I remember him saying and I related to this so much is that he said um he's like no the reason I'm stuck with this business isn't even my love of acting he's like you meet the coolest people. He's like, I get to hang out with the best people all the time. He's like, crews, so great. Actors, so great to be around. Yes, I love acting, but also like, if I didn't have a base of friends who like, part of it is, yeah, if I wasn't an actor, if I like washed my hands of all of this, I wouldn't get to see my friends a lot of the time because we're taping each other (laughs) and I'm working on a theater production with them. And it's like, the fun is that this feels like a, like a relay race, you know, or like we're on a soccer team or, or something, you know, like a really big soccer team. I'm not great at sports ball, but I'm here for the analogy. Lauren, I want to keep you on for so long, but also like, I feel like people will be like, this is just a big love fest. And I'm like, yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, we're going to go thrifting together. So we'll continue the conversation while we're thrifting. Yes, please. Hi, y'all. This is the outro. That was a very abrupt cut of saying goodbye. I didn't mean for that to happen. All right, Lauren Bioli, guys. Thanks, y'all, so much for listening. Um, I've been listening back to it, just editing it, and I'm just like, dang, this person loves actors, so supportive, and just like the best perspective. I knew she was going to be great just because I know she's lovely, I don't know. I was coming having, I was kind of having a rough day and I just had this feeling. I was like, I'm going to get to talk to Lauren later and let's set these feelings aside because I really think I'm going to feel better in a little bit. And it's true. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please get on Apple podcast and give us five stars. That would honestly mean the world to me. Please make sure that you're following myself. Make sure you are following, following, how do I pronounce things? Make sure you're following Lauren on Instagram. It's Lauren underscore Buyoli, B-U-G-L-I-O-L-I. And um, I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much. All right, love you. Bye-bye.